Are you thinking about how this time impacts our teams, our organizations, and, well, ourselves? In this episode, I speak to talent optimization specialist Megan Marini on everything from effective teams, Buddhism, empathetic leadership, and compassion for ourselves and others. And I think the empathy piece is really important to be able to not have sympathy for the people that you're leading, but to go in and have those deeper connections and really get into empathetic understanding. You know, really, how can I help you achieve what you need to achieve at work today? And it not be like, did you get it done? And how did you get it done? But like coming at it from this, like we're actually in this together. So how do we lead through this difficult time to empower people and affect real change? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Megan Marini, thank you for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Rebecca. So why don't you tell the listeners a little bit about Megan? Yeah, for sure. So um, I am a Boston native. I went to college in Colorado. I went to a small Buddhist college, um, Naropa. And then I did my grad degree in Switzerland in philosophy and media, which was kind of fun. And I guess one of the coolest jobs I ever had was I ran an art gallery for Namaste Hospice to raise awareness around dying and helping to bring resources to those who were dying and couldn't make their last wish come true. And we had a grant that we would grant people their last wish as well as we would never turn people away from service. So there was no like red tape. And um, then after that, I ended up getting hired to do marketing because people had seen like the website I did and the marketing I did for the events. And um, it turned into a marketing company, which was kind of a cool way to to start a business, like without intending to start a business, it just sort of happened. And then I got into leadership about five years ago. And um, yeah, that's what I've been doing since. Well, it's fascinating. Yeah. Things I don't expect to hear, but what an amazing background you have. It must give you a great perspective on life in general. I hope on my good days. (laughs) We all have good days and bad days. (laughs) Yeah. So I know with your work, you have this concept that you work with called predictive index. So yeah, predictive index is a really great tool right now, given the COVID crisis, where so many teams are having to adapt rapidly and we're reorganizing teams and people are having to really figure out how to lead others right now. And the tool, basically what it is, is a blueprint of somebody's drives. So if you have a team of eight, you can sort of predict outcomes of how they'll work together and will they achieve goals based on who you have on the team and what position they're in. So it's really nice to be able to have that data. And as we know, people are really complex and don't come with directions usually. So this helps leaders and individuals who are leading themselves understand more about themselves. And that's really the core, I think, of leadership is starting with that self-awareness. You know, when we're under a lot of stress, like we all are right now, knowing where your default is and where you might sort of lean back into old patterns rather than stepping forward into your highest self and um, those behaviors that you want to exemplify. Sometimes those can be hard can be hard to show up like that when we're really stressed out. So knowing those, you're like, oh, here I go, here I go again. Before we are, you know, engaging others and trying to lead others in in times of crisis. So I think the tool's really awesome right now. I just joined a um, consulting firm to deliver PI. We've been in this space for over 20 years. We have 170 clients all across America. 
So I'm really excited. And basically the team just, everybody's laughing all the time. And I'm like, this is great. This is the way it should be. So yeah. I'm really excited about that as well. It's the Cornerstone Group uh, is the name. Awesome. Having fit at work is underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. So glad to hear you get some laughs in. But I think what's really interesting right now, just kind of hearing what you're talking about, I've done a lot of work in team dynamics. Mm, right. right. And it is really important for every individual on the team to feel like they're able to bring their expertise every day, be able to connect to the work that they're doing, understand how that work applies to the greater mission. Mm. And thinking about the context of work today in this pandemic crisis, where you have swaths of people working from home. So teams have sometimes been separated, now working mm. remotely, independent from one another, and may have to face each of their individual selves differently than they had in the past, because now they're faced with some level of isolation and solitude. Of course, we have a lot of technical tools that we can use to connect to one another through meetings like Zoom or, you know, obviously just phone calls. But you miss a lot of that, I guess, day-to-day conversation, banter, you know, laughing or things that people might do when they're co-located in an office environment. So I'm wondering your thoughts around people being faced with that isolation and solitude and what they can do to think about themselves a little differently in that context. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the human to human interaction is really a loss for a lot of people. And I think that it's also a driver for going to work for a lot of people, whether you consider yourself an intro or an outro or a mix of both, which I think we all are, you know, there's something really necessary. I think we need human interaction and, and the opportunity is ripe right now to realize that. Right? But I would invite people to really think about how much they need and sort of start with that. Do I need a quick check-in with my sister after work every day just to kind of have that grounding force? Or do I need to ask my husband for space, you know, for an hour after work, whatever it is? Or do I need to make sure I have one call with my direct report once a week? And just having a little control over what you need and asking for what you need, I think helps people feel really well taken care of when it can seem like endless chaos in all directions and you're just at the whim of your calendar. I think that would be a really great place to... I know it's not real human to human contact, but to say, okay, I want to do a Zoom. I know some people are, you know, yesterday I had eight Zooms. I was like, this is getting to be too much, you know, and then other times it'll be a day and a half where I haven't done a Zoom. So I think having a little rhythm and knowing what you need is really empowering. Right. And I love that you brought up understanding what you need in the moment, knowing when to walk away, knowing when you give yourself a break, maybe knowing when to exercise self-care. And really think very critically about that need and not feel like it's selfish. Yeah. I think that that's a trap that a lot of folks might fall into. Yeah. I think a lot of people are moving into this hyper action state. I know I did right away. I was like, okay, I got to get everything set up. I went into like fast forward mode. (laughs) And I know people are still doing that with tasking because it makes them, you know, feel like they're doing something good and doing something positive. But I think what we're seeing now is a lot of burnout from that and that exhaustion if we think about giving people permission to figure out what those little sprints are that you need right now, like, hey, I really need to take the afternoon off. I worked all weekend. I'm just, I'm hitting a wall. To be able to ask for that. So giving your people permission, that's a really courageous act right now, I think, because we've all been taught to be part of a culture that's so work oriented. And we're really learning that it's not sustainable under these conditions. Like people just need to go through their day a little bit more. And I think that's something we're all going to take away with this. I hope, I hope. And, and I hope it doesn't have to be like waiting till you hit that wall of exhaustion. Yeah. 
So I've done a lot of work with burnout. I've experienced mm -hmm. burnout myself, and I know that sometimes people feel like if they continue to push themselves, sometimes get lost on the true priorities they should have uh, to just simply take care of themselves and think about accomplishment, think about uh, getting things done, worrying about letting people down and, and those kind of things. And I think there's probably some aspect of us being disconnected from one another uh, in that we start to lose uh, connection. Mm -hmm. I think that's the huge risk that we carry right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. What would you say people can do to add more connection to their day? Yeah, I think, you know, conversations, of course, you said like doing eight Zooms. Sometimes you need eight Zooms in a day. <laughs> Sometimes you need to talk to people, see people. And, and I think that's been really great. I mean, and even just like in a work context, but also uh, in a social context, I'll say one of the things that I've done with my family over the last several weeks is that we play a game called Five Crowns, which is a card game. And so I've got my parents who are in Chicago, my sister who's in Colorado, my nephew who's in Florida, and then us here in Indianapolis playing Five Crowns over Zoom every wow. Sunday. Oh, I love that. That's great. And it's great because we never did that before. The capability was there, but we never did it until now. I love that. I love playing cards. Yeah. One presentation I'm going to give will add something about whether it's um, sharing pictures from what your home office looks like or mm. what are you cooking today, things like that, just to add the human element back into the day so it's not so crisis oriented. Right. Absolutely. And I've seen that too. And then also giving people challenges. Yeah. So let's say someday we will be past our current crisis mm -hmm. and back into something. What's your opinion on what we will fall back into? Will we fall back into the old normal or will this be a new normal that we find? So I think our biology is changing right now. And, you know, I'm not a biologist, although I loved, I loved it in school. I think that our behaviors have had to shift so rapidly, how that's affecting our cells. You know, if we think about the epigenics and the expression of the genes, so much of that moment where the gene is created or born is indicated by how we're behaving. Mm -hmm. So if we all of a sudden go into this hyper stress state and we're drinking more and our carbohydrates, we're eating cookies, everybody's like, I've been eating cookies for breakfast and lunch. And people aren't working out as much. And there's, there's all of this impending um, stress. So how does that shape how we'll remember this to me is kind of where the beginning of my thinking starts. Like what are the implications there? And I think the most powerful thing we can do is, is temper back the stress because our bodies are so resilient. I think we can handle some cookies, but the stress I think is, is worse. So I try to keep myself in a state of calm I'm pretty good most of the time. And then I dip once in a while, of course. Mm -hmm. But I think that that to me is like the beginning of it. And then as far as like how we'll relate to each other and how the market responds, I've heard really interesting predictions, but I'm not going to make a prediction on the economy. But I think that our behaviors as human beings will never go back to the way that we did. And it's to some of the things you mentioned around connectivity and that human to human interaction. I think that we'll always appreciate the freedoms that we have. And I, I wanna say pleasures that we have, like just going to the movies or whatever it is, like going yeah. out to dinner. I mean, I was like, I just wanna go to TJ Maxx and spend $10, you know, oh, I would have so much joy. And just that little, little behavior, right? When, um, you know, our grandparents went through the Great Depression, like that mm -hmm. was something that shaped their reality and this, Although I hope it won't be as long as that. I think that um, it will always 
help us to appreciate how we manage our time. So I do a lot of public speaking and mm -hmm. I think that the events are really going to change, right? Like, right. you know, I just can't imagine as many conferences in 2022. Why would somebody, after realizing that we don't need to go to work and drive as much as we do and push ourselves so much and travel all over the country all the time to attend all of these things, when um, learning can be you know, more intimate and in your home environment and you can save the planet, there's like this cascade effect, and save your energy. I can't imagine would have the same demand for activity. That's my feeling, is that behaviorally, will have calmed down a little bit, mm -hmm. right? We'll be at like, instead of being at like a 10 or 11, we're like, my calendar is totally full and I got to go to this event and that event. We'll be at like a six or a seven and we'll have shifted the value around our time. And we'll say, you know what? I actually want to play that card game <laughs> with my family. Right. Instead of flying to Chicago for one night to go hear one person speak when I can watch them on Zoom. So I don't know, that's the way I'm seeing it kind of shift. Yeah, how we spend our time and how we engage with others. I don't know, you're the futurist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you look at it from like a futurist perspective, of course, there's multiple possibilities and multiple right. paths we can follow. I think one of them could be that, that the behavior changes that we're experiencing now. So new behaviors, new patterns of behavior, as those become established, they'll become more difficult to change. We start to enter something that is somewhat of a new reality. So that's a possibility. So like you mentioned, mm -hmm. we have less, let's say like hustle, driving around, flying around, going places. Yeah. All of that travel time takes a lot mm -hmm. of time away from our lives. It creates a lot of stress for us. Commutes, going to the airport, uh, going yeah. to new places, trying to find your hotel, all these other things you're talking about. Because I do public speaking too, so I'm, I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah. For me now, I need to go to an event. I need to talk to a person. I need to have a meeting. I walk to the other room. Yeah. <laughs> I get dressed. I walk to the other room. And then I do. And then I do that conference. And then I do that meeting. Right. And then I walk to the other room and there's my kids. And they're either you know playing or they're doing schoolwork which is another thing altogether, you know, is trying to figure out how to make sure that they stay on track with their education. Luckily, my younger kids are very responsible, so I haven't had to work too terribly hard, thank goodness. But it's wow. been a lot. It's been a lot to kind of think about. It's been a different context, but I definitely feel stress, but it's not the hustle stress that it was. Mm -hmm. Definitely different. Yeah, it's definitely different. So like everybody's talking about the new normal and I love what you're yeah. saying. Like once we sort of create these new habitual behaviors, mm -hmm. they become deeply ingrained. Mm -hmm. So we have sort of shifted. Yeah, we've shifted how we'll show up. But yeah. conversely, like what do you think about the idea of there, there'll be such a pent up energy? You know, I think that also we'll see a wave of people that are like, yeah. I have to go out every night. Yes. <laughs> Well, it's just like you said, like you're sitting here like, oh my God, I wish I could just go to TJ Maxx and spend 10 bucks. You know, <laughs> that could be a thing that happens. Um, I think it really depends on at what point in time do we come out of this thing and what did we actually learn from it and how serious are we about changing our ways moving forward? So if there's something positive we're taking out of this, like we appreciate each other more than we ever have and understand the importance of human connection uh, because it is a, a need that we have, not even just a psychological need. It's a biological need that we have to connect with other people for our own well-being. If we take that seriously, 
and we do something about changing our behavior moving forward, then there's a new normal that we start to go into and start to prioritize human connection differently than we did in the past. Or we um, are like, oh my God, I'm going to go see every movie that just came out because they've been waiting to release them. Right. I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to go spend all this money on stuff. I haven't been able to shop for a while, but that's one of those things that's interesting about thinking about the future. There's so many different possibilities, but it's just, how do you prepare and adjust for any of them? Yeah. And I think it's as unique as, as each individual, because yeah. if we look at how people are coping, you know, some people are really doing well and sort of taking it almost like a challenge and, mm -hmm. And then other people are having a really hard time. And I think it's situational, of yeah. course. And then um, there's something about certain people are decidedly like going to make the most of it. The difficult part about predicting things is that each person is already on a different trajectory. <laughs> and that will just yeah. magnify. Because when we think of this collective we, like how will we be different? There's no like one we. I mean, there is one That's we. Right. <laughs> but, like, yeah. You're right. There's trends. Yeah, there's definitely trends. We need to be able to anticipate those to be able to fill needs and shape the market. And then if thinking about if you're a government and you're trying to understand how things are going to unravel, yeah, that you almost have to be prepared for those who will come out better and then those who will not come out better. Right. One other thing that we could all learn from this moment in time is being better prepared to shift gears in relation to the unknown or things that just happen. Mm -hmm. Like we know we three months ago, we never could have imagined we'd be in this circumstance today. Right. Never yeah. could have imagined. <laughs> Not exactly this. That's a really powerful learning moment or opportunity to learn. This is so unique. And that's, I think, one of the things that it's good for America as a collective, because I think we still have this feeling of, invincibility mm -hmm. you know we're america we're not gonna and i think there's still people that are acting like that right now actually but um yeah. that are somewhat in denial but i think most people are sort of behaving and following the rules so um, yeah i think that's a good lesson right it's almost the age of the end of innocence right where you say okay i can break my leg or whatever happens to to become an, an adult you realize that you're not completely invincible so i think that's that's a really powerful lesson that's going to be deeply ingrained i think in us you know mm. and and hopefully we have something where we're seeing ability to work together and to come together that to me is probably one of the more solution based realities like everyone's mm -hmm. stepping up and going how can we help one another get through this yes that's really cool i think you're right i mean you almost feel the empathy like i feel like you, you couldn't always feel it in the past i feel like we we feel each other's pain and understand that aspect. I think there's also a trap we could fall into about making too many assumptions about what other people might feel mm. at this point in time based on how we feel. But at the end of the day, we're all kind of in this same circumstance where we're feeling relatively isolated. For some people, they love it. For mm. a lot of people, they're struggling. And what's I think even more interesting is it's not just localized here in the United States or any region in the United States. This is a global issue. And I've talked to people all over the world who have different context and different cultural impact over what we're going through right now, but feeling a lot the same way that we feel mm -hmm. just being isolated from one another. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that we practice at the Cornerstone Group is professional empathy. So I'll speak to 
uh, he's an HR director this afternoon around his um, Northeast managers that are all dispersed. And a lot of them are in the beginning of their career. So they're new to management. And now you throw this into the mix. And I think it's that personal piece, right? They're managing their own isolation and lack of structure that they once had while simultaneously having to lead others. And I think the empathy piece is really important to be able to not have sympathy for the people that you're leading, but to go in and have those deeper connections and really get into empathetic understanding. You know, really, how can I help you achieve what you need to achieve at work today? And it not be like, did you get it done? And how did you get it done? But like coming at it from this, like, we're actually in this together. I know there's still people that are that are doing the helicopter management and stuff. And I think most people are good managers in that regard just because, you know, it's not 30 years ago. Management is tough. And if you don't have a lot of training, it's really tough. And you kind yeah. of learn things the hard way. For most, it's not an intuitive job. If you think of the five myths, it's like you're working in the business. And then when you move into management, it doesn't equate to a skill just because yes. you understand how to do the job working with leading others and then through crisis is kind of a double whammy. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a lot of growing there that'll really move things forward faster for leadership where you're like, okay, I did that. I got through the Corona. Now I'm good. Now like come what may, right? Yeah. That's a great point though about the importance of leadership and, and how leaders can evolve through this crisis and understand people are people. One benefit of Zoom is that you can see a, a little window into people's lives. Mm. You can see their home. Sometimes you can see their children. Sometimes you yeah. can see their pets. And then people become a little bit more real. When you're in an office, it kind of disconnects people from that life that they lead outside of work. In some respects, sometimes it gives people that opportunity to see people out in the world differently than they had in the past and personify people differently. And maybe mm. be more forgiving for things like when the kids speak up in the background on a conference call. Where in the past, that would have been uh, somewhat taboo. Today, I think it's just commonplace. People just Mm -hmm. expect it. I think that will change outcomes too. Like just how parents are allowed to take off an afternoon because the kids got something going on. Like now everyone's going to have this whole new reality. Yeah. Yeah, But I like the idea of like taking the mask off. Yeah, that's cool. If we can have empathy, if we can have empathy with each mm. other, then taking the mask off happens. And that's psychological safety, right? Being led by people that will um, allow you to be your true self and your whole self. Then if you want to think about like high performing teams, right? Yes. Your shoulders go back, you lean into your heels and you're like, all right, they have my back. I'm going to kick butt. Right. <laughs> that's what happens, right? Versus that impending low level anxiety where you're like, they're watching me. Did I do enough? Am I going to be in trouble if I didn't do this right? All of right. that low level anxiety really um, suppresses the immune system. It suppresses creativity. It doesn't mm. allow you to um, have fun. You know, hashtag fun. It's so important. Add that piece. Um, I think that corporate really needing a makeover on, on that front where it's like, no, it's actually okay to enjoy one another and we'll, we'll all come out better because of that too. So a lot of my team work that I'll do, it depends on the team, right? Like I've done some where I start them all with meditation mm-hmm. and then other teams I'll work with and I'm like, I just know <laughs> that like, <laughs> I'm not going to yeah. do meditation with this team. But right. I will, I do urge them to kind of pull that mask back, like you were saying, and share a story, what's really going on or what's challenging you and creating that team environment where other people are able to see in on what's going on and then letting it be okay. Right. And maybe the values start to shift 
a little bit, given where we're mm. at. And I've seen some of that as well, where organizations in the past, especially very delivery-focused organizations, have had to be very realistic about the impact of their operations point in time. They had to be very realistic about the impact on people and how that's impacting their performance. So starting to shift towards more empathetic leadership, um, mm -hmm. understanding what's really important to get people to thrive, like you said, like psychological safety, just allowing people to show up as they are and be themselves and bring their skills to work, mm -hmm. bring their strengths to work and be able to apply those strengths for the greater good, whatever mm -hmm. that might be. Definitely. Yeah. yeah I love that. Now, how do you um, apply some of this future projection through the op operational branch of a company? I'm so curious. Can you like a little taste of that? Yeah. And a lot of this is really comes down to the fact that the old ways of business just aren't working anymore because we're in this place of rapid pace of change. Uh, now, time is 100, <laughs> given our current circumstance. Organizations need help to understand how to shift quickly. And they have to understand how to bring the best out of their people. Mm -hmm. and I think a lot of the advice that organizations have been going off of have been on individual success and also from an organizational perspective, old ways of management, old ways of strategy and having mm -hmm. a difficult time actually executing on that strategy. So what I'm working on or I've been working on is building models to help shift how organizations operate in ways that allow them to shift gears more quickly, allow them to understand the benefits of a high functioning team and understand how important it is to have high-functioning teams now and in the future. It's really just helping organizations be able to shift their gears a little bit more efficiently and be more realistic about disruption that's going to happen more frequently than it ever has. And now here's this huge wake-up call we're in today where we have massive disruption somewhat suddenly and organizations having a difficult time coping. And the reality is nobody was prepared for this. Like a lot of companies were not. Some large organizations will survive this. A lot of small organizations won't. Yeah. Yeah. What do you think will, no, that was great. I love that. Now, what, what do you think will happen to um, the smaller organizations that sort of go away, mm. right? When this first hit, my first impression was like, oh gosh, here's the end of small businesses. Everyone's going to have to like go join forces with a large organization that can weather this type of impact. But um, I don't agree with my former self, you know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think that there'll be like this resurgence of more innovative smaller businesses that kind yeah. of re have had to restructure or reshape themselves. But I love what you're saying is the dynamic within the companies will have, well, not have to, but because some will still have a hard time, right. but being more dynamic and more nimble, no matter the size, is going to be a requirement. And in, in the way trends are shifting, it's like businesses that haven't kept up have all been suffering. And now this is like, you've got to figure this piece out, whether it's, you know, leadership needs to bring in some innovators and listen to them. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's complex. Like I'm thinking of two companies in Boston right now that are just, whew, they're beasts. They're huge and they've been so resistant to change and their publicity has suffered for it. And now we'll see. I think people are going to gain a new perspective after this experience. Yeah, it's fascinating. It is. So let me ask you something else. So you mentioned your background in Buddhism, which, is, which fascinates me. So how would a Buddhist approach the current mm. circumstance? Oh, I love that. I have so much content 
on being in a Zen state. And I think of it as like design thinking almost mm-hmm. where you're just going to pull up the most important priority mm-hmm. and then um, clear everything else away. Now, it may sound oversimplistic, right, from business thinking, but it's actually really important right now to be able to have that awareness that you've got to simplify and you've got to be able to limit the noise in a way and just know how to move through the market. When you talk to the team, you need to know where you're going and what to say to them. I almost see you could come in with a Zen approach on every single um, piece of a crisis management communication plan where you're driven by your value and you're going to communicate that in a multiplicity of way. And it's just like, I see it as like an arrow. You're at the tip of the arrow with Zen. We've got all this noise, right? In Hinduism, it's called the monkey mind. It's like constantly jumping from one thing to another. And this is the same with the internet and, you know, the seven seconds of attention span or whatever that um, modern Americans have. So in Zen, there's this monk who people will go to see. And this guy goes in and says, when will I meet the Buddha? Or when will I, you know, reach Nirvana? And the monk pushes him out the window two stories or three stories or whatever. I think it was three stories. And uh, he falls on the ground, breaks a couple of bones. And then the monk jumps out on top of him. (laughs) So he gets hit again. And the monk says, there is your lesson. The meaning of the story is really that when things happen that are so pronounced, your mind can finally become quiet. Mm. And that's when you meet the Buddha, or you meet your true self, or you see the direction to move. It's quieting of the mind in that mental chatter. That if we think about comparing that to like travel and all of this extraneous spending of money and stress, you know, four hours in the car every day and all of these things, they would be the opposite of of Zen. You you could be in the car if you have to, and you could be Zen in the car, right? You could be like, I'm just simply going to drive and enjoy this moment for what it is. Or you could look at it as like your whole life could be a Zen and you're like, I'm not going to add to that noise, right? Wherever I can take noise away. And if you think about creating a team, that's what people are having to do right now, right? Perhaps some people have tightened teams up and people have had to share jobs now and um, everybody gets like this little role in this almost like mini organization. And now we have to work together. The more simple we can understand our roles and the more simple we can, we can approach our outcomes, the more likely we are at achieving them or even superseding them. I always think of like the one minute manager. It's this book that like no one ever talks about from the 70s. <laughs> And I love it because whatever team I'm on or whoever I'm working with, like I'm working on a project, these guys yesterday, and I'm like, okay, so there's going to be four or five people working to make this happen. I'm like, let's get a, a one-page document at the highest level. Here's the outline of what must be achieved. And if it must be achieved in eight weeks, okay, cool. Here's everyone's roles. So that there can be no mistake around the communication. So everybody walks away and says, I know exactly what I own. I know my responsibilities. And I've said in front of everyone yes, I can make that deadline. So that to me is even Zen. It's so simple. There's no room for error. Whereas we so often believe in complexity or engage in it as almost a form of intelligence (laughs) where it's it's actually not. So anyways, that's my Zen rant. And I I probably would add to that if I thought about it more. Yeah, I love that. And I think what's really interesting is not only do we live and think we thrive in complexity and think that has some kind of alignment with success, we often reward people for that too. Mm, Reward people for overwork, reward people for taking on too much, 
and really sometimes operating in ways that are unhealthy that also may not allow them to work at their best. I think it really doesn't like the um, story you told about having those moments. You're like, boom, you know, and I, and I can actually think about those moments in my life where I was just like hit by a truck and it really just changed my perspective and these moments of inspiration that make our lives richer in, in some way. I think this is one of those moments too, yeah. where all of a sudden, yeah, time spent with family becomes, it's just, everybody talks about it. Like, well, I, I hadn't played a song with my daughter in four years and now we're making music every night together. And it's really making our lives richer. Yeah. yeah. I feel closer to my family now than I have in a long time. And it's not because we're not close, just being around them every day, all day, you know, I thought would create conflict, but it really just hasn't any more than usual. Instead, I just feel tremendously close to them. But it is even just them asking questions that I can't answer. Like my kids asking me, mom, how long will we have to be stuck at home? And I have to say, I don't know. I don't know. Mm. So what would a futurist predict for like how long it's going to be? Like what types of information are you using to make a projection like that? Yeah. I mean, this is one of those moments I have to be really honest that I don't have the level of expertise on viruses, and, you know, to really say, I mean, I can look at the news, I can read articles and different opinions, and I'm pretty much in the same place as anybody else. This could be a month, this could be five months. We don't really know what's going to happen between that point in time. I don't know. But what I'm really focusing on, it's kind of like what you said before about staying in the moment. Mm. I'm really kind of absorbing what I'm seeing and experiencing. And thinking about this is a great opportunity to use that in the future. When we think about, you know, what we've learned out of this experience or what we need to take forward from this experience, I feel like that learning is valuable. I don't want to miss any minute of what I'm experiencing mm -hmm. right now. And so when I think forward, I have kind of refrained myself from projecting too much about how long I think mm -hmm. this is all going to last because yeah. I just don't know. But what yeah. I do know is that the more I stay informed, the more I understand what's happening around me the more comfortable that I am with that unknown, which is hard for a lot of people. And it, it seems to be one of the more difficult or probably the most difficult from what I'm hearing across the board. It adds, it, it almost trickles down to all the other stressors because yeah. of that one, not, not knowing how long it's going to be. So I've not allowed myself either to sort of project forward, which I am a future projector. I'm always thinking about how things are going to go. Yeah. How things are going to be shaped and how to shape them. So this is, it's really, you're right. You have to draw back into the moment and just be like, I'm just going to take it day by day. And then I do like certain predictions, right? Like I, I think that the idea that the economy will, will refresh itself in a sense in, in five or six months, I, I really like the feeling of that. I'm like, yeah, man, come on. Like, you know what I mean? Like, come on, yeah. the underdogs, we can do this. Like, I'm really hoping that, you know, the systems thinkers will step in and, and kind of, and that the economy will have that um, sort of backdraft that it'll like, you know, building yeah. the construction is this still deals. I know a lot of deals have tanked with this, but I know that there's still deals being made and um, money will be moved. Will it be spread, you know, dispersed evenly? Probably not. But, you know, it's like, yeah, I hope five or six months. And then I'm hearing into spring next year and I'm like, oh God. So I, I just hope that that's, um, I just hope that that's not the case, you know, but I feel like, you know, I always think of, Maybe I'm like a Andrew Yang kind of human because I've been such an entrepreneur. But like, I, I do think that it is the entrepreneurs that will save us. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think it's the business thinkers that can put ideas 
into the world and, and change the market and get people moving that where government obviously is a machine that's sort of a blunt tool. It's still, we need it right now, I guess, but um, it's good we have a government, but it's such a blunt and slow moving tool. I, I see like business as like, it's nimble. Like you can build a manufacturing, you can do uh, laser stuff, like let's go, right? Like, I, I don't know. I, to me, that's where people that know how to make things happen quick. I came yeah. up with a COVID idea. Yeah. See if it takes off. There's been some really great relationships um, came about from it. So even if nobody picks it up, I feel like, all right, well, I'm glad I did it. But we'll see. It's a, it's, um, a civilian readiness program for the hospitals. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so like a rapid training. Um, I partnered with, I brought in a couple of folks that do recruiting and then um, medical staffing. So there are nine states. And yeah, we would just kind of help them bring people. So we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. But Right. Anyways. That sounds, yeah, that's exciting though. That sounds very impactful. So that's awesome. Yeah, I was excited just to come up with something that, to help. Like I had to put my hands on something. I'm like, I right. can't just sit back and like hope for the best. I have to take action. And this yeah. idea came to me and everyone I told loved it. But getting in front of like the CEOs of hospitals right now is proving quite the daunting challenge. So I'm just sort of like just been sprinkling out the message. And if people need it, we have it. I'm just like, who knows? Maybe I'll hear from someone next week or um, maybe they'll take the idea and just do it without me. That's fine too. Like as long as someone, we've saved a few lives. I think that. Yeah, that's meaningful. And I, and I think that you're right. And this kind of goes back to what you were saying before is, will this be a hotbed for innovation? And I think it will be because people will be compelled to action. And that's really the key behind innovation. Uh, mm. entrepreneurship, you know, people have some fire and they decide to pursue that fire through some level of inspiration that they've had. For you, you saw an opportunity to do something to save lives. For other people, they're going to see that opportunity. They're going to see other opportunities to, uh, to maybe operate differently. They're going to see opportunities to help mm. people who are suddenly out of work for an extended period of time where their whole industries are stagnating. So, you know, how do you help those folks be able to find new opportunities to support their families? All yeah. of these types of opportunities are going to put a fire under people to do something to solve the problem. And that's when you start to see very effective innovation and very effective entrepreneurship is that people mm -hmm. are very highly motivated to achieve a goal that's very important to them, that aligns to their passion, whatever that passion might be, which could be completely different based on new problems that didn't used to exist mm. or not to this extent. And that's one thing that I do see happening mm -hmm. in this point in time is that people finally getting to that moment where like, I have a solution to this huge problem that I see and I'm very passionate about making this happen. Yeah, new problems create new solutions. They do. And I think they also change our perspective on what problems are. And I, you know, to be honest, I feel like we did that. Because I feel like one of the problems that I kind of identified last year is people starting to solve problems that are not meaningful. Mm. For you know, profit, things like that. While that's fine for people to have an opportunity to be an entrepreneur, I don't see that as being impactful to people, to society, to the way we live our lives. And uh, yeah. now we have this opportunity maybe to find different ways to make our lives richer or better. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. It's exciting. I don't know. I mean, this is painful right now, but. <laughs> it's <definitely> painful. <laughs> like, why yeah. don't I be over? <laughs> yeah. But hope for the future. Hope for the future. Yeah, no, we'll get there. It's just yeah. a matter of time. So I think another thing we're learning is patience. Yes. 
this, you can't get around it now. It's like, well, you might as well just be patient with what's going to happen because we can't, as an individual, we don't all have the power to change this. That's right. Yeah. So what makes you optimistic about the future? Yeah, that's a great question. I think I've made a choice to be optimistic about the future because coming back to that moment, it's like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to have these moments from it with any other, you know, I, I can't stay in a downtrodden, woe is me. I just, it, you know, I, I did sort of hit a low yesterday. Uh, I was, it was too many meetings for me and I just wasn't feeling it. I just wasn't feeling well. I wasn't feeling very healthy yesterday. And I was like, oh my gosh. And just being at that high level of production and being on and being on and being on all day long through the evening for meetings, it was too much for me. I can hit those moments. But then today I was like, I knew I was going to wake up today and feel amazing and be back on my, on my game. And I'm like, okay, I've, I've had like maybe three of them where it's like, okay, it's really hitting me and I don't know how I'm going to do this, but I'm going to trust that tomorrow I'm going to have that. I don't think it's like um, just endless hope or, you know, numbing positivity. I think it is a looking forward to the fact that I know personally I am going to come out better from this, even if I'm five pounds heavier. <laughs> like, I still will be a better person for right. learning what I've learned. Yeah, I guess I have hope in the entrepreneurs. You know, I am one. Like, I feel like we will find ways. Yeah, I totally agree with that. It's good to acknowledge that we are struggling at moments. I've had yeah. moments. Um, I think we all have had moments. And I think one of those things we were talking earlier about self-awareness and understanding yourself, it's okay to have flaws. It's okay to not be perfect all the time. It's okay to have moments where you feel down, mm -hmm. where you feel frustrated, where you feel lost or whatever it might be. What's important is that we take that personal agency to find ways to see something different for ourselves and make choices about how we choose to see the world, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty powerful. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me, is there anything that you're concerned about for the future? I think I'm concerned about obviously the people that are catching the virus. I think that's probably something that comes over me in waves of, um, you know, sadness. But I think right now I'm feeling the impact of those who are going to be really hit hard by the economy. I think mm. that it's a systemic problem, right? Um, I just heard about this young kid in Boston that he has nowhere to go. His mom said, you didn't make it home on curfew, and she kicked him out yesterday. Mm. And um, so it got me thinking. I hadn't been thinking about the inner city kids in Boston right now and if, they have, if they've been struggling with food safety and abuse. I think abuse is up. Domestic violence is yeah. up. And although we often hear about all these stories of, like my buddy telling me, oh, I'm hanging out with my daughter more, and it's amazing. Not everybody has that experience. I hope that that is a place where we can find more balance. I think the economic injustice in this country is just, it's time for a change. Yeah, I just don't, I don't think that people should be poor in this country the way that they are. I think it affects everything. I mean, the education system is, is not valued the way it should be. I mean, just Boston as a hub, there's so much money in Boston and the public schools are so poor. It just doesn't seem right to me at all. It doesn't seem right. Education is the pillar of any strong community. So I, yeah, I agree. And maybe that's an opportunity too. If you think about these problems that people face beyond the problems that we see every day and remember there are people that are truly struggling and not even just in this moment. I mean, I think of course right now things are amplified. You have a homeless population that has a risk of going to a shelter and getting sick. 
but staying out on the streets may not be an option for them either. You have people, like you said, in domestic violence situations where shelters could be completely closed right now. The places they could go to be safe may not be an opportunity for them uh, in the moment. What, what, what do they do? The, for kids that are in those situations where typically they're uncovered through school systems and are not getting reported simply because they're not being seen. You know, maybe there's an opportunity too, and I guess maybe that's one of those things that we're talking about, taking personal agency, seeing problems and solving those problems in the moment, being passionate about something and making a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are all opportunities that people have to make a difference, whether it be they take their own resources and go out and start a movement in order to address these big problems in society, or they support a local agency that addresses these problems directly because these non-for-profit agencies in this moment are struggling, are really struggling. And uh, they're there to help the people that you mentioned that really need the most help that can be forgotten in these times. Yeah. So these NGOs and uh, nonprofit organizations, they're, you're saying they're struggling because of funding? Funding. Personal giving as well in some instances. Yeah. Yeah. So probably the private sponsoring is down. It's funny. I was going to do a video on like how I've gotten, how I've secured sponsorship dollars and how I've coached other people to do so. And I'm like, it doesn't, well, like, I don't really know why I keep thinking to do this right now, but maybe I'll do it just because it's kind of setting up an ask in the right way and how you position an offer, what value you're promising in return. But yeah, so it's really interesting because I'm, I'm just like, I think of human capital where it's like, there's so many dormant bodies, able bodies right now that are just like in the house wanting to volunteer. But of course, the threat of the virus would cause one pause. But I don't know. I sort of feel like, yeah, I like what you're saying. It makes me want to go volunteer somewhere. Like at least if one thing I know I could do is I could show up and burn some calories for somebody. That's right. Or even just like they have some virtual volunteering opportunities that are coming up, like simply just reaching out to people that are homebound uh, or isolated and not being able to get the contact they typically would. So lots of opportunities. I encourage a lot of listeners to go out and look at local agencies you have around your area and see what kind of opportunities you have to give back at this time, because there are many opportunities that still exist and a lot of people who who are in need. I love that. Yeah. Glad to bring that up because I I love to help in the community too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I appreciate that. So any final thoughts for today? Gosh, what should we send folks with? I I love ending on volunteering. I think that's really fantastic and and giving back. And then I would just say, um, make sure we're tuning into nurturing ourselves and um, sort of volunteering for ourselves a little and making sure we're taking the time or asking for what we need. It's so easy to um, just focus on doing and giving and forgetting to actually receive. So I guess that would be my final thought. It's a great call to action. Take care of ourselves. Megan Marini, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Rebecca. I really appreciated this. It was a, a really fantastic time talking with you. Megan is a deep thinker who looks broadly and squarely at our world to determine what we can do to make it better. Beyond her expertise as a talent optimization specialist, she considers how this time impacts us individually in relation to our biology, our health, and our well-being. She also considers the broader impact on us as people, such as the impact on our interpersonal connection and the needs of others in the community. These are important conversations at any time 
but more so during this time, amidst broad disruption. This applies to organizations when considering talent management through difficult times, but considerations for self-care and taking action to make a difference, that goes much broader. So, regardless of your place in this world, you have the ability to step up, demonstrate leadership, care for others, and care for yourself. Then, you can contribute your perspective and ideas in order to shape the future. So, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Megan Marini, check out her website at meganmarini.com. That's meganmarini.com. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.